Thanks for listening to the Faith Assembly podcast. If you're in the Orlando area, we hope you're able to join us for one of our services. Please check out faithassembly.org for more information or follow us on social media at faithORL. We hope this message will be an inspiration to help you find all that God has for your life. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning, Faith Assembly, Redbug Lake, Michigan Street. So good to be back. Uh, It's been a few years. I think it's been since 2019. And you know what they say, the days go slow, but the years go fast. And uh, we have seen a lot of changes uh, in our lives, in our churches, in our country. Uh, And it's great to be back. I'm looking forward to being here tonight. Uh, My passion in life is helping couples enjoy life together. And my wife and I, since I was here last time, celebrated our 25th wedding anniversary. And we will turn 27 years married this year. There's a picture uh, that we had taken on our 25th anniversary. And I, I used to, as a kid, go down with my family into the church basement to meet a photographer with Olin Mills. Who's heard of Olin Mills before? Okay. Oh, we're going to date some people in here because... If you've ever been in someone's home and they've got a family portrait with a blue backdrop and everybody looks like it's a mugshot, that's Olin Mills right there. Olin Mills is long gone. And now photographers, I don't know if you know it, they're very excited people. They got a lot of energy. We showed up to this park. The photographer said, all right, Amy, I want you to stand right there. Ted, go back there 30 feet. I want you to sprint up. I want you to grab her, pick her up, spin her around, set her back down. I said, should we stretch first? This seems like, (laughs) I was thinking Olin Mills. We're a long way from Olin Mills on this one, but I was game. I'm not very athletic. I lack skill, balance, coordination, strength, but I was going to give it everything I had. And so I went back 30 feet and I sprinted up to her. I grabbed her. I picked her up. And at about the 180 mark, I lost my balance. And for our 25th wedding anniversary picture, I body slammed my wife to the ground (laughs) with a force and a passion. And uh, (laughs) I'm at that age, I turn 50 next year, but I'm at that age, you don't get up right away after you fall down. You kind of sit there, you check on, you know, your hips and your arms and photographer comes over and go and mouth agape. And I'm like, tell me you got that. I did not get that, she said. Are you two okay? And we're just laughing on the ground. This picture's 30 seconds later. And and this isn't forced. This isn't fake laughter. This is the story of our lives. Because my wife has what I call a silent, patriotic laugh. When she finds something funny, she places her hand over her heart. She leans forward, and nothing comes out. And my goal in life is to get that laugh out of her every single day. Am I successful? People going, no, the guy, no. (laughs) Five to six times a week, but the point is, I go for it every day. And I am married to a strong woman. Raise your hand if you're married to a strong woman. I always like how slow some of the hands go. Do you want me to raise my hand right now? (laughs) This feels like a trap. How you answer this next question is more important. How many of you love being married to a strong woman? Let me see your hands. I love it. I am married. Everything about my wife is strength. I mean, she's got passion. We're always coming out of her. 
She loves a show on TV with Chip and Joanna Gaines called Fixer Upper. And I've said, if I ever meet Chip Gaines, I'm going to punch him right in the face. I, I hate that man and everything he stands for. He's ruining our marriage. I'll come home from church and Amy will be standing in the dining room. And I'll be like, what's going on, babe? She goes, you know, I think after dinner, uh, we should get rid of this wall. Can we get rid of this wall right here? And I had to go online and find a term to save our marriage. You know what the term is? Load-bearing. Every wall in our home is load-bearing. You can't touch one or the whole house comes down. Should we call a contractor? You don't need to call a contractor. They're all load-bearing. Leave them alone. Then this other lady came on Netflix. Her name is Marie Kondo with Tidying Up. And I hate her just about as much as I hate Chip Gaines because her passion is decluttering. And my wife has two love languages, acts of service and quality time, which means I serve her for long periods of time. That's what these two love languages come together mean. And in the middle of these two love languages is decluttering. She has this fundamental core value. If you haven't used it in a while, you don't need it. And I say wrong. But here's how I found out about Marie Kondo. <laughs> She's standing in the closet one day holding a sweater. I go, what's going on, babe? She goes, I'm asking it the question, do you spark joy? I said, and what if it doesn't? She goes, I'm supposed to say thank you, give it a kiss, put it in the donate discard pile. And she says, I'd like you and I to do this with every article of clothing in this closet. Now, I believe I speak on behalf of men worldwide. When I tell you, we ain't asking about our genes, do these spark joy? We're asking, do they fit, do they smell? We pass those two tests. We're keeping our genes. Where she always start with her passion for this decluttering? In the garage. She gets the garbage can on wheels, she flips the lid back, and like a grocery cart around the garage, she's looking for stuff to throw away. She'll hold up one item at a time, and she'll be like, are you still using this? I'm like, babe, that's a hammer. She's like, when's the last time you used it? And she'll toss it. And we'll just run and get a new one. And we take these everyday moments of life, and I'm just convinced couples need to learn how to walk on the lighter side. I think we're taking ourselves too seriously. And, and, and this, I go after that silent patriotic laugh because the word picture I want us to start with Today is this side-by-side walking through the seasons and stages of life, husband and wife. This side-by-side through the grind of life. This side-by-side through the toilsome labor under the sun. In Genesis 2, 20 through 22, we read, Adam is working in the garden. Very important to understand this is Genesis 2, not Genesis 3. So for those of you that think work is part of the fall, this is before the fall. Work is not a result of sin. It took place before sin entered the world. So work is part of it. And so he's working in Genesis 2, 20 through 22. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs... Uh, my friend John Branion, he's a comedian in Indianapolis, he says, clearly this was the rib men needed to read minds. It's gone. 
and then closed up the place with flesh. Very important to see that the rib taken from the side of man. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and here's the first wedding, and he brought her to the man. I love this word picture because Martin Luther says God could have taken a bone from Adam's head, implying that women would rule over men. He could have taken a bone from Adam's foot, implying that men would rule over women. But look at this beautiful word picture. He took a bone from Adam's side, implying equality, mutual respect. But the word picture I love is husband and wife walking side by side through the garden together. Walking side by side through the seasons and stages of life. The seasons and stages of life, I don't know if you know this, they change us. They change us. One of my friends in marriage ministry says, over the course of your marriage, you're going to be married to five to seven different people. That's how much we change. Why? Because bills change you. Okay, kids change you. Kids, they'll suck the very life right out of you. And some of you are coming to the event tonight just so you can check your kids in for four hours. And if we catch you just strolling around campus not being a part of the event, we're going to send you back to get your kids immediately. <laughs> your, your body begins to break down. Your body changes. And then that changes the marriage. And so we, you and I live in this world with different seasons and stages. And here's what I remind couples in coaching and in counseling sessions. I say this all the time. It's how I start most of them. Jesus is your source. Satan is your enemy. Your spouse is your companion. If you want to experience high levels of marital satisfaction, never treat your spouse like the source or the enemy. I remind couples all the time, yes, your marriage has an enemy, most definitely, but it's not your spouse. And that's all some of you needed to be reminded of today. My spouse is not my source. My spouse is not my enemy. My spouse is my companion through the grind of life beautiful word picture but there's some myths some beliefs that people develop and have written on their hearts that we need to debunk today and we need to walk through this the first one is a good match guarantees outcome if you find the right person it's all downhill from there and we have fallen for this in our culture that says uh, the right person means everything's going to go well. Just find the right person, be in love, and it's going to be easy. And it guarantees, guarantees marital satisfaction. Hey, raise your hand if you met online. Let me just see all the online. It's okay. Be proud. Sometimes they're like, I don't want anybody. That's okay. Totally legal. <laughs> but I always, and I always get the biggest nods from couples when I say this. A good match is a good start. But it's not a guarantee of a thriving marriage. It's not a guarantee of success 10 years down the road or 20 years down the road. So I tell couples, doesn't matter if you met on eHarmony.com, Match.com, FarmersOnly.com, Ancestry.com. I don't care how you meet. It's what you do after you meet that matters. But here, we've, and these myths all build on one another. A good match guarantees outcome. And if you find the right person, number two, compatibility, that'll be easy and automatic. 
right? You just got to find the right person, have a good match, have good chemistry, and then the compatibility will just happen. And, and the reason compatibility to becoming one is something that we're constantly giving ourselves to and, and being intentional with it is because those seasons and stages of life are changing us. And we're always changing. We're always needing to grow. But if I find the right person and we're compatible, we fall for this third one. Healthy couples don't fight. The Hebrew term for that is, ah! <laughs> Not true. Healthy couples know how to fight. Healthy couples don't avoid conflict. They know what to do when conflict raises its head and there's a dispute. Fight or flight, my wife is fight, I am flight. I told you my wife's strong and my wife, and this makes a lot of sense when you put it this way, my wife believes we're not going to let this ruin the rest of our day, we're going to deal with it right now. I'm in the other room. How many of you are get out of the room? Let me just see hands and across all campuses. How many of you like to stir it up a little bit before you get out of the room? That's, that, yeah, I knew that was you, I could tell by looking at you. A healthy couple knows how to reconcile. And they know what to do and the steps to take. It's not about avoiding conflict because when you go through the seasons and stages of life, oh, there's going to be plenty of opportunity for disputes and conflict and disagreements. But that leads us to where couples believe it's the big issues. we got to just watch out for the big issues. No, it's actually the little issues that build up over time. Uh, Solomon calls this in the Song of Solomon, those little foxes. you got to catch the little foxes that sneak in and they want to nip the buds before the, the vineyard can produce these grapes. And so you got to catch them early. And this last one I want to share out of Philippians with us for just a little bit today. It's the idea that shared interests keep us together. You've heard people say this. We don't have anything in common anymore. But there's something more important for your marriage than shared interest. A couple of things. One, how you interact with one another in shared interest is more important than shared interest. You may be into sports. You may have a, a, a team that you love. It's how you interact as you drive to the game, while you're at the game, and as you drive home. How you interact is everything, more than the shared interests. But this one we're going to see out of Philippians today, showing interest in your spouse's interest. That's far more important than shared interest. Asking great questions about what your spouse is interested in. And in Philippians chapter 2, we get this great little outline. Paul is going to give us an exhortation. Here's how we live and here's what we do. Okay. Then he's going to give us the example, the example that we have in Jesus. And this part I love, he's going to give us an exam. I love when scripture does that. When we get the exhortation, live this way, make this part of the practice of your life. Watch how Jesus did this. And now let's see how you're doing. And we'll begin in chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. I have a friend. He's a mentor. He's about 75 now. But we were driving down the road years ago. And he goes, Ted, you're still in the marriage ministry, right? I said, yes, sir. He goes, you're passionate about helping couples. I said, yes. He goes, I could end your ministry with this one statement. He's a very encouraging mentor. Uh, he said, but I appreciate all the tips and tricks, factors and skills that you love to give couples, but there's only one thing a spouse needs to do to have a great marriage. And he kept just building, he wouldn't tell me what it was, just kept building it up, building it up. But one thing, only has to do one thing. I'm like, what, will you just tell me? And he said, stop being selfish. That's it. 
Stop being selfish. Paul says it. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Here's the key. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. You can't value someone above yourself if you're filled with pride, selfish ambition, vain conceit. So it takes walking humbly before our God. We'll see this in the example Jesus gives us. And then verse 4. Not looking to your own interest, but also each of you to the interest of the others. And the one thing I love about talking to couples is uh, using the example from my marriage. Amy is better at all of this stuff than I am. Gary Smalley used to call it the hidden marriage manual in a woman. And, and Amy reads something, puts it into practice. Uh, an example, a couple of years ago, the year after the pandemic started, so in 21, uh, you know, my passion in life is fly fishing. I love fishing. I fish my whole life. But my passion over the last 20 years has become fly fishing. And a couple from Alaska called me in 21 and said, hey, we're having 15 couples come to uh, our resort and we're going to do kind of a couples retreat and we would love for you to lead it. Can we bring you up here? Yes, you can. Anyway, I didn't even, I, you want to pray about it? I don't need to pray about it. The answer is yes. Uh, but Amy couldn't go with me. So I went and, and went for three nights, had the time of my life, uh, caught my record rainbow trout of 30 inches and I came back, and I'm sharing it with Amy. And now fly fishing ain't her thing. But she showed interest in it, asked me a ton of questions. She sat there as I showed her the pictures multiple, multiple times. And I've learned as a husband, I don't replace the picture of my wife on my phone, you know, screen lock with a picture of me with a fish. Don't do that, guys. Just don't do it. All right? So my family is still my main picture on the phone. But Amy's asking me questions and showing interest. And then she says... If they invite you back next year, I want to go with you. This is my wife, right? This is the selflessness that's in her. And so we got invited back. But in my wife's mind, going to Alaska, she was thinking Sandra Bullock and the proposal. <laughs> she was thinking lattes in seaside towns with little, you know, biscotti cookies or something. It was really more like a couple's fishing trip. Uh, I brought a picture of our first day on the water just so you can get a vibe for what was happening. <laughs> Um, <laughs> she wanted the proposal. I gave her grumpy old men. Let's just be real honest with you. You know which one's my wife, right? You can tell which one's Amy in the middle of it. And, uh, and we're, we're fishing, and Amy, I know this isn't her thing. She's only on that boat because of me. And y'all, she beat my 30-inch rainbow trout. Within 30 minutes of being on the water, my wife caught this 32-and-a-half-inch rainbow trout. I started crying. <laughs> I was shaking. I mean, I, was in, I, was, I fell over while in video. We got it in the boat. I made the mistake of hugging the guide first and inviting him to Thanksgiving. And <laughs> it got real awkward. As we're going back to the cabin, Amy says to me, man, this is your thing. Uh, she said, you, you, this, is the, uh, this, is, this is as good as it gets for you know, fishing for a rainbow trout. I go, it don't get no better. The guys would pay unbelievable amounts of money for this. And then she looks at me, and this is my precious wife. She goes, uh, I wish you would have caught that fish. To which I said, if you want that to be our story, <laughs> we don't know these guys. I guarantee you they ain't on social media. <laughs> I have another passion. I love boating. Uh, we, we keep a pontoon boat on Table Rock Lake, and 
My favorite thing is sunset cruises. Uh, but my wife, she has temperature issues. She likes to be a constant 68 to 72 degrees. And she believes the, there's only really the, the boating season in Branson, she believes, is July. Uh, but I like to extend it so she goes, hey, she'll be the one that initiates Knowing it's cold and she's not going to be comfortable, she goes, let's go do a cruise. And she may do this in September. I actually brought a picture of us on a romantic cruise on Table Rock Lake. Uh, that's my wife. She just puts the blanket all over and I romance her the whole way down to the dock. Let, let's be real clear about this. Participating in your spouse's interest, it may actually spark a shared interest. May or may not. But the point is, to show interest. The point is to dig into it. Ask questions. My wife's a foodie. I'm not a foodie. I didn't grow up a foodie. My favorite restaurant is Lay Cracker Barrel. Uh, but she likes the fancy restaurants. And the first time she took me to a foodie meal in New York, I was uncomfortable when I walked in. And I was walking by, looking at the portion sizes, going, well, I'm going to need a snack after this meal. I can tell you that. This is not going to be enough to fill me up. And we sit down. My wife's emotional and environments. Hospitality is her thing. That's all she runs at our church. She loves, she loves when you come to our church or our home. It's much like what I feel here at Faith Assembly, that she wants you to leave going, I matter to God and I matter to them. That's what she wants you to feel. And so she's got that when she walks into an environment. And... I remember sitting there, I'm so uncomfortable in this restaurant, I'm not dressed right for it, and, and the waiter walks over, and he's got this plank, and it's got a mint leaf sticking out this side, and a mint leaf sticking out that side, and I'm like, is that the salad? Is that where we're starting with this thing? Because I'm hungrier than that. He said, no, the chef picked this fresh today, and b believes it'd be a good way to start your meal by taking the leaf and begin rubbing it gently over your lips. I look over at my wife, and she is fully into it, right? She is, she is doing everything he said to do. And I'm like, bro, I grew up in Illinois where we grew a lot of produce. We just never thought about rubbing it on our faces. And I believe if, if I'm going to do this, I'm gonna need you, I need some privacy. Could you please back away? He wouldn't leave, and he wasn't amused by my jokes. <laughs> so I took that leaf. I wore it out. Man, I just, I'm like, all right. I'll, I'll get ready for this meal. I don't know what, and I put, I put it back on the plank. But I can almost get the silent patriotic laugh out of my wife now every time we're at Cracker Barrel. And I lean over to her plate and grab some broccoli and start rubbing it on my cheek. Walking on the lighter side. Showing interest in your spouse's interest. Right, this requires... No selfishness. <laughs> you can't be selfish. Vain conceit. So here's the example that we get, verses 5 through 8. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So what we're going to see in this text is we're not just going to do the right thing. We want the right attitude. Right? We know what the right thing to do is. We can follow what the scripture says, and we can follow it clearly. But God wants our hearts to align, and I want the mindset of Christ Jesus when it comes to serving. It says in verse six, who being in, in the very nature God, Jesus was fully God, is fully God, fully man, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, or your translation may read, to be grasped. 
Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. I can remember when I was in college, a pastor came through and he gave this simple illustration that I remember messages over the years, but this illustration, it stuck with me for now over 30 years. And it's something I practice almost daily. And it's fast, it's simple, but it, it, it's a good way for me to be centered and to start my day. And this is all the pastor said. He goes, before I get out of bed in the morning and my feet hit the floor, I just take my hands and I go like this and I empty myself. Because it's easy to start being just full of yourself and living your life full of yourself. But he goes, I want to empty myself. And then he goes, I just quickly turn my hands like this and say, fill me. Because I've got my, my spouse and my children and the people I'll be interacting with today. And I need you as my source of life. He goes, then I hop out of bed and I go. That's how I begin my day. And I think about that every time I read this text. He, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. He emptied himself. And we're going to see here that the heart of Jesus is willingness. No one forced Jesus to the cross. No one coerced him. He did it willingly. And we see that in verse 8. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient, even death on a cross. He died for you and he died for me. And he didn't do it begrudgingly. He did it willingly. And I want my attitude as a servant in my home and in my marriage and in my church okay, to be one of willingness. I know the right thing to do, but I want the attitude and the mindset to go with it. I think as parents, we probably get this better than anyone. Have you ever asked one of your children to apologize to a sibling? How'd that go for you? Real heartfelt? I'm sorry. Okay. Right words, wrong attitude. I want the willingness and the desire to do it. So here's the exam. I love it. We get a test. How you doing with this? How you doing? Nothing out of selfish ambition, vain conceit, in humility, valuing others better than yourselves, right? Showing interest in that of your spouse and others. How you doing? Well, here's the exam. If that's the exhortation, the example we have is Jesus. We follow him. He did this willingly. Verse 14 gives us the exam. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. What is grumbling? We know what grumbling is. It's one of my favorite words because grumbling is complaining under your breath. It's when you say something loud enough for your spouse to know you're frustrated, but not loud enough or articulate enough that they actually know the words you're saying. You just want them to know you're mad. You just want them to know you're not happy with the situation. This is a great way for us to test our hearts. I, I don't know who originally said it, but my mentor used to say it to me all the time. The true test of a servant is how you respond when you're treated like one. The true test of my servant's heart is my attitude when someone actually looks at me like one and treats me like one. That's how I know whether or not I'm passing this test. Empty me of me. Fill me with everything I need for this day from you, staying connected to the true and only sources. So here's my prayer for you. May the overflow of your marriage never be nagging, correcting, second-guessing, demanding, controlling, and nitpicking. And some of you are going, I hate this list. <laughs> you going to tell a joke? Nope. I, I don't want this to be the, the example of my marriage. 
What did Jesus say? You'll be known as my disciples by the way you love one another. Your children, grandchildren, neighbors, church members, strangers on the street are watching your marriage. Is your marriage a reflection of Jesus? Is your marriage showing the world Christ? Because I don't want that to be the list for me, that top part. I don't want it to be the list for you. But rather loving, serving, respecting, honoring, cherishing, and considering, and sacrificing as you walk side by side through the grind together. My passion to continue this message and then on into this evening. And I look forward to this event every time I'm invited to be here because it's a church. My daughter actually just texted me from, uh, on the front row. She's out there at my book table. And she said, uh, Dad, this, this church is the most hospitable church we go to. It, and, and just I'm, I'm asked you know, every few seconds if I need anything. or if there's, And everybody's just high and friendly and kind and, and generous. And so we, we are grateful when we come here, our passion is to, we want couples to truly enjoy life side by side with one another. That's why we go and do 60 or 70 events a year around the country. And this has been Valentine's week. I get to end it at Faith Assembly, uh, but been out all week encouraging couples. And this is the verse that, that sends us out from Branson, Missouri, uh, across the country each week and each weekend. Verse 9 of Ecclesiastes 9 says, Endure life with your wife all your miserable days. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't say that, does it? You know anybody that thinks that? I get to be the one that tells you, it doesn't say endure life with your wife all your miserable days. It says enjoy life with your wife whom you love all the days of this meaningless life that God has given you under the sun all your meaningless days. For this is your lot in life and in your toilsome labor under the sun. Toilsome labor there means grueling, and God did not give you your spouse to be the toilsome labor under the sun. He didn't give you your spouse to be the grueling labor under the sun. He gave you your spouse to go through the toilsome labor with. Your spouse is your companion, not your source, not your enemy. And so one of the ways I love to help couples enjoy life together is through laughter. You can tell I love, I love to laugh. I love laughter as an expression of joy. Some of you have really been into this. Some of you not so much. I've been looking. <laughs> I look at some and they're like, I'm having a great time. And I'm like, well, then tell your face. <laughs> because it ain't coming out here. And I love laughter. I actually wrote a book. It came out two weeks before the global pandemic called A Love That Laughs. And it's all on helping couples find their shared sense of humor. I released a true story, a book on laughter for couples uh, two weeks before a global pandemic, and I want to encourage you, if you're going to write a book on laughter, release it two weeks before the global pandemic. Uh, I've sold like 37 copies of that thing. Uh, I think I sold like three more today, so I think we're up to 40. Uh, I've sold 40 copies of it. Uh, but it's all based on Proverbs 17:22. A cheerful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. And I don't know if, if you're experiencing this, Florida, but I'm experiencing it everywhere we go. Uh, we live in one angry country right now. Everybody's mad. It's every, they're just, there's outrage. You can walk up to a stranger with a smile on your face and say, hey, how you doing? How you doing? And you're met with, <sighs> We get up every day, turn on the news, or surf our social media feeds to find out what should I be ticked off about today? And so I've been spending a lot of time with people with crushed spirits. I just want to encourage you today. Let's learn to walk on the lighter side. 
I want to encourage you, as, as the subtitle of A Love That Laughs says, uh, cut loose, lighten up, and enjoy life together. Stop taking yourself so seriously. Like, enjoy life and enjoy life together. If you sum that book up into one statement, with all the research and all the scripture, it would be this right here. Couples who use laughter to manage stress and work through difficult conversations not only report higher levels of marital satisfaction, but they stay together longer. And, and I just want to encourage husbands in here. If you're going to use laughter to work through difficult conversations, timing is everything. Okay? You're like, well, how will I know? Oh, she'll let you know. Okay? And I'm not, I'm talking about appropriate laughter, kind laughter. I'm not talking about harsh, inappropriate, cutting laughter. You know what we're talking about. Looking for it all around us. And chapter two of the book is all the benefits of laughter for your marriage. The chapter's got a real creative title. It's called 38, 38 Benefits of, of Laughter for Your Marriage. It started at 75, the editor made me cut it down to 50, and after 50 we went to 38, but I said, I'm not cutting anymore, there's just too many great benefits. I wish I could share them all with you this morning, but to enjoy life together, here's seven benefits of laughter and humor for your marriage. One, it opens us up for truth. It's why I love to use laughter when I teach, because laughter for adults is play, okay, and if my son, when he was seven, I wanted to teach him something, some deep spiritual truth from the scripture, I didn't pull a whiteboard into the kitchen after dinner and start outlining and charting things. You know what I did? I got on the ground and I played Legos with him. And while playing Legos, I had 30-second windows, 60-second windows, 90-second windows, and that's what laughter is for adults. It's an opportunity for us to just loosen up a little bit and gives us a moment to absorb it helps us cope. 19th century preacher Henry Ward Beecher said, a person without a sense of humor is like a wagon without springs, jolted by every pebble on the road. Good humor makes all things tolerable. I love this one. Hearty laughter burns calories. According to Vanderbilt University, you will burn up to 40 calories with 10 to 15 minutes of hearty laughter. So come tonight and skip your workout tomorrow. And here's what I love about this benefit. Your mind can tell the difference between fake and real laughter, but your body cannot. So the next time your spouse tries to be funny and ain't, fake it. Make yourself laugh and reap all the physical benefits. Laughter, I can see people driving home today and he says a joke or something and she's, ha, ha, ha. It's a good start and we'll take it. It reduces stress and tension. I do an event around the country called Date Night Comedy, and it's just for sole purpose, an hour of, of helping couples laugh, three to five laughs per minute. Uh, and I love hearing these three things at the end of one of those events. Haven't laughed that hard in a long time. My face hurts and my side hurts. I was in Rock Valley, Iowa last February. A 65-year-old lady came up to me, and she goes, Pastor, what were those three things people say after an event like this? I said, haven't laughed that hard in a long time. My face hurts and my side hurts. She goes, you can add a fourth. I said, what's that? She goes, I think I peed a little. <laughs> so all I'm telling you, Faith Assembly, let yourself go. <laughs> Quit holding it in. Hey, the young single guys in here, let me tell you, it makes you more attractive. 
If, if you see on online dating, most people score real high. I want someone with a sense of humor. And by sense of humor, you don't mean you're looking for someone who's just going to tell you jokes all day. By sense of humor, you mean you're looking for someone who can laugh at themselves and invite you in. It makes you relatable. I tell guys in our church all the time, you don't need the body of the rock, the face of Brad Pitt, or the ego of Tony Stark to get a girl. You just need a few jokes. You need a paycheck and a few jokes. And you got those two things. For some reason, they really like them paychecks. It makes you more relatable. Have you ever walked into a room and people are laughing and you find yourself moving toward it? You don't know what was said. You don't know what was done. But that's the magnetic draw of laughter. Okay, it, is, it, it makes you relatable because everybody in here wants to be around someone who can say something dumb, do something stupid, shake their head and go, I can't believe I said that. I can't believe I did that. And then this last one's a big one for me. It makes shopping enjoyable. I hate grocery shopping with every ounce of my being. I can't stand it. I mean, there's just too many options and you got to go. It's like a treasure hunt every time you go in there. And I'm that guy you see in the store. My Amy sends me in for canned tomatoes. Not enough information. And I've told her I need very specific words, like the exact words on the can, on the jar. Because I'm that guy doing the dance in the aisle, going like this. I'll only do it twice before I make the phone call. I'm the guy, yeah, we got dice peeled, crushed. You got it. I got, I need specific words. She recently sent me in by myself, one item coming home from church. She goes, can you stop and get prepared mustard? I've never heard of prepared mustard in my entire life. So I, I go to our very generous mustard section. I stand in front of it. I start at the top, and I did the dance twice. Second time, okay, we got yellow, hot and spicy to John. I'm getting ready to make the phone call. About an 80-year-old lady walks down the aisle. And uh, I said, ma'am, I'm so sorry to bug you, but I, I need prepared mustard. I cannot find it. Would you please help me find prepared mustard? She steps in between me and the mustard. Doesn't say one word to me. This is all she did. She looks back at me, she looks at the mustard, and then looks at me one more time, and this is it, this is all she did. <laughs> Who just learned what prepared mustard is for the first time in your life? Can I see your hand? Thank you, all right, yeah. You learned something at church today. Chapter three of the book is Finding Your Shared Sense of Humor. As a couple, and can I just encourage you, uh, this is a secret to this factor and skill in enjoying life together. Stop trying to be funny and just look for it. It's everywhere. Don't just drive by it, call it out. Then speak it out loud, because it'll get another laugh and a bigger laugh. We were at the grocery store together, and Amy sent me back to get something. I told you, every day I'm going for the silent patriotic laugh. I walk by this item on the way to get the other item I'm supposed to get. I stop, I laugh out loud. I thought it was funny, so I grabbed it. It was worth me grabbing it, going back to Amy to see if I can get the silent patriotic laugh. I walk back and show her. I'm not going to say a word. I'm going to show you what I showed her to see how you respond. <laughs> now, some of you aren't laughing. And that's because you were raised on new math. <laughs> but when I grew up, the math teacher said what? Show your work. 
Somebody complained about the price of Coke, and Coke is now showing their work on a third of the box. I showed it to Amy. Did I get the silent patriotic laugh? No. This is what I got. She looked at it, read it, and went, huh. <laughs> totally worth it. If you drive by Mount Pleasant Baptist Church and see this sign, say it out loud to your spouse. Do you know what hell is? Come here, our preacher. Sorry, Johnny. We're all pulling for you. Uh, that, would have, that laugh would have been 50% had I just shown you the picture. And I, I, I usually let it sit there for a little bit and hear the laugh. Then I say it out loud. It gets another laugh, and it's usually louder. That's the power of you not just pointing something out to your spouse, but saying it out loud, calling it out walking on the lighter side of life. My friend John Branion is a comedian. I told you that earlier in Indianapolis. And uh, he does a whole bit on flipping Arkansas. And I encourage you to go home today, type in flipping Arkansas, John Branion, get another good five, 10 minutes of laughter. But we were leaving an event one night and he goes, Ted, you live about an hour north of flipping Arkansas. I said, yeah. He goes, have you not stopped to think that everything in flipping Arkansas is flipping hilarious? <laughs> I said, I guess I haven't. And it, it took John pointing it out for me, for Amy and I to take a field trip. First sign you see when you pull into flipping. You can't invite your lost friends to the flipping church of God. How would you even do that with a straight face? Where do you go, flipping church of God? What do they believe? Not much. <laughs> Pretty flippant about everything. Can you imagine something going wrong on a Sunday morning at this church and they got to call 911? 911, what's your emergency? Yeah! I'm at the flipping church of God. <laughs> Somebody give me the flipping cops. You laugh, but John points it out. The police car, true story. The police car says flipping police. You can't make this stuff up. It's everywhere. Just point it out. Oh, we're going to have fun tonight. You guys are a fun group. Hey, I'll end with this. Looking forward, because what's my favorite question to ask? Have you seen anything funny lately? It's a great icebreaker for strangers. It's a great question to ask your spouse at the end of the day. See anything funny today? And I'll never forget, uh, a few years ago, I meet once a month with a retired missionary in our church. Her name is Pat Kershaw. She's 88 years old now. But for 60 years, she worked for International Students Incorporated. Her passion in life... Uh, for 60 years was sharing the gospel with international students while they were at university uh, in the United States and then discipling them for four years and then sending them home to their home nation uh, to be leaders. And we meet once a month and I was working on the book and, and uh, I asked Pat, Pat, have you seen anything funny lately? And she said, yeah, I saw it just yesterday while getting my mammogram up in Springfield. I said, well, every pastor needs a good mammogram story. I said, uh... What you got for me, Pat? She goes, well, you know, it was at Mercy Hospital. It's a Catholic hospital, and the nuns, they got verses all up and down the hallway at Mercy Hospital. Ted, what verse do you think they got hanging on the mammogram machine at Mercy Hospital? I'm like, I, I have no idea. She said, 2 Corinthians 4.8, for we are hard-pressed on every side. <laughs> Love you, Faith Assembly. I'll see you all tonight. I hope you enjoyed listening to the Faith Assembly podcast. 
Thank you for joining us in pursuit of growing closer to Christ. Stay tuned for more messages released every week. God bless.